The following podcast is an audio version of a live show that takes place daily on Crowdcast. To join our live audience, visit our Crowdcast website at crowdcast.io slash in lieu of fun. That's crowdcast.io slash in lieu of fun. Clicking it. <laughs> Click. And we're live. It is Friday, October 22nd, 2021. 5 o'clock p.m. We are on time today. It is cheese night. And uh, and I just want to say I have learned a remarkable fact about uh, uh, the the estimable Genevieve Delafera, whom I have known for like a year and a half uh, from this show, but did not know until this very evening that she is a harpist, although she assures me that she is a lapsed harpist because mm -hmm. she doesn't currently play the harp. But every time she appears on this show from her apartment in New York, just off camera, there is a full-size concert harp. Lion and Healy. Uh, and I just want to say um, that is... Um, awesome uh harpists when i was at oberlin college uh you could always tell the harpists from quite a distance actually so they, they were characterologically quite different from really? all the other instrumentalists uh first of all harpists um were uh, they got dressed up for their lessons nobody <laughs> else in the entire oberlin conservatory did that but they would, you know, put on sort of businessy clothes, and nobody in entire Oberlin College wore business clothes. But you could always tell a harpist because she was wearing kind of a a businessy suit or at least a, a dress. Um, the harpists were almost uniformly female, uh, not uniformly, but almost uniformly. Um, and uh, secondly, uh, they all came from the Midwest. Now, Genevieve de la Ferra does not come from the Midwest. Really? Um, yeah, That's such a this, fun fact. It was such a, uh, it was such a, um, uh, 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 like it was like a cultural stereotype, the harpists. Um, anyway, how did we not know this about you, GDF? Again, I'm, I, I talk so much and I still sometimes manage to bury the lead. <laughs> Um, how long have you played the harp? Um, well, I started playing it when I was much, much younger. So probably like third grade, um, maybe fourth. And I played it all through high school. And like then in like college, I decided I wanted to take a break. And it's been an extended break. But I still have my harp. And I... So, so how long has the break been? Oh, over, over 10 years. And I I keep getting it restrung to get myself to like re re um, to like force myself to start again, and so then I'll do that, and then I become so distracted or preoccupied with like other interests that my practice suffers, and then I like have to start all over again. So um, I'm actually probably due for a restart, and I'm thinking I have to get it restrung. Um, because part, so one of the things about the harp, uh, particularly is it's very temperature sensitive. You're aware of this? Yeah. 
And so the... One of my children played the harp for a while. Oh, really? Um, although this person did not get dressed up for lessons and was <laughs> not from the Midwest. Um, so, um, yeah, I am, I am familiar yeah. with... The, the gut extreme strings. idiosyncrasies and temperamentalism of the harp as an instrument. It is a diva instrument, that is for sure. And not the play, not the people who play it, but just the instrument itself requires all due respect. And so mine is somewhat resentful of the time that I've spent away from it and the temperature conditions it's had to live in. Um, Steve, they're really not that difficult to keep in tune because you learn with a tuning key. And so one of the parts of your um lessons is that you can teach yourself how to tune it so that you usually tune it pr prior to playing it every time but, um but let's, let's but wait let's uh uh let's start with the point that unlike a piano you oh, have yeah. to tune it every time you play yeah. it yeah so the answer to steve's question is yes harps are a bitch to keep in <laughs> tune like lutes um, <laughs> that's true but i guess i it's part of the whole maintenance and giving it its due respect i guess as the diva instrument that it is <laughs> we are not so there is one instrument that i think rivals the harp uh for true diva status and that is the uh bassoon um where the bassoonists I have known spend hours and hours and hours carving their own reeds and, um, wow. you know, and soaking them. And, um, and, you know, it's, it's a, it's a weird, like, they're like venologists, um, oboists too, Richard. Yes. Um, the whole, oboe family the the really weird ones are the english hornists really? um no, they're just like if you, <laughs> like a mid-range oboe who plays the english horn um anyway we are not allowed to have fun anymore but we are allowed to have cheese night with newly uh outed harpists mm -hmm. um and yes, Anne Kornhauser, the French horn does rule, but it is not a particularly temperamental instrument. It's stable and uh, and it is not double reeded and it doesn't go out of tune. Um, and, Every time uh, the weather blows west. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's, it's super solid. Um, yes, it is uh, right, Christopher. Uh, it is temperamental as brass instruments go, but that's like saying, it is temperamental, uh, you know, as stolid Swedish stock goes. Um, <laughs> you know, it's kind of um, the least temperamental group of instruments. All right. Um, I keep getting cinnamon on my face. So if you see that I start to have some kind of dark, dark mark here, everyone, please don't think that I'm getting bruised or anything. Um, Evan, Gen it is... Oh, go ahead, Ben. No, no, please. It's a ginger ale with a splash of apple cider and cinnamon on top. And for those of you who are imbibing, you can do a little um, uh, dash of vodka. And it apparently is delicious. <laughs> All right. What are we talking about today? Paula's boy problems. I want to know. Yeah, so let's start with Paula's boy problems. Um... 
she's waived privilege, so let's bring her on <laughs> to talk about it. Um, and then we're going to um, talk Alec. about Alec Baldwin and killing people with what should be fake guns. Um, oh, Paula, that a... expression makes me so concerned. <laughs> <laughs> that was my expression about the fake guns thing, too, um, because I... Um, listen this is so nerdy to like a podcast that like goes into background about the tv show the office and they talk about like the stuff that the work that goes into props making props and like seeing that story was quite shocking to me that like they gave an actor that kind of weapon so not to jump the gun but i i've heard that it can that that's the malfunction is not something that is is normal but it's also not something that's unheard of i don't know i mean it was just it's just shocking to me that based on what i've read they would even give it to someone because i what i've heard is like you will have um this is like for the office and they would have like safety coordinators for even the smallest things like if you have if you want to you know light something small on fire you need a safety coordinator so it's very shocking to me that someone made that mistake I agree. Why does a stage prop need bullets? I mean, I don't. Why? Why was it not just a fake gun with like something CGI'd in or like something like that? That's what I don't well, understand. Yeah, they've been using guns in movies since before CGI. But if you put a blank <laughs> in a gun, it, it will was before behave. My... It will behave. Yeah, I know that you don't exist before CGI. But you know, there's like, you know, Rick in Casablanca kills um, Major Strasse. You know, Major Strasse has been shot, round up the usual suspects. There's a gun, it goes bang. I don't think there was a fucking bullet in it. What? Like, whose idea was it that Alec Baldwin should be on a set with a gun with bullets in it? I thought that blanks were just bullets with the caps, like without the part in the nose i'm is that incorrect i see i don't know anything about guns it's all the um all the explosives and no projectile yeah so i guess like what the, I mean, the, 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 the casing question. itself got mangled well this seems like somebody i mean look if the gun a blank can hurt you um if you're close enough to it um uh you know a start you don't want to be right next to a starter pistol when they when they um, but um, uh, I, I think the real question is to, to, to like, actually shoot somebody, you need a bullet. Something needs it, to have. Yeah, I need to know. Like, I I totally get. I mean, I don't get. I understand the playing to the base thing, but I didn't know that like Trump supporters were pro killing people that worked on movies. Wait, so what? I really don't get the J.D. Vance tweet. Like, who is that for? I want what to know. J what which, did J.D. Vance tweet? I'm sorry, I don't follow Oh, really? Twitter. Okay, yeah. let me pull it up. J.D. Vance tweeted. Um, well, let me pull it up really quick. Oh, J.D. Vance tweeted, Dear Jack, as in Twitter Jack, let mm. Trump back on. We need more Alec Baldwin tweets, as in we need more people to tweet about this man accidentally killing someone. Like, who is that for? Who? I just think that's the voters an idiotic of Ohio, statement. of course. <laughs> really? Like, who? Is that really appeasing someone? 
It's okay. Honest, uh, well, we're talking about him, so I think the the intention is just to get attention sure. from him, as with most things he does. So, let's talk about the boy problem. <laughs> yes. No distractions. <laughs> I just, it's very, it's getting annoying to find someone who has the, like, I feel like the field of people I can date is so small. Like, it's, it's just so narrow based on... Why? He's going to say something. I think first, like the, the values thing, like now, like I have to like worry about like every guy that I encounter saying something stupid about like vaccines or like, I don't know, ivermectin. That's like a third of the male population now. And so, well, like, let's give men a little more credit, Paula. Come on. <laughs> you can't. No. Um, and then. You know, just a like- lot of women believe in ivermectin, too. <laughs> This it's not true. a particularly this male. Is, yes, not my we can't break it down by gender. <laughs> it's not the demographic I'm going for. Fair. It's that, and then combined with like the traditional um, way. Like I don't understand like how men act. Like like what's going inside their brains. So it's those two. Yeah, things I don't either. Colliding. That's just. It's so frustrating. Like, now, is it their behavior towards you, or is it their behavior generally? Generally, like I can't figure them out. Like, so even if I did find a guy who had similar values of as me, I I couldn't like I couldn't tell if he hated me or if he liked me. <laughs> I would have when, no idea. Well, hmm. So just to comment on the behavior generally, I have found because I have a lot of brothers, and I'm speaking predominantly from my experience with them. It's better just to appreciate them as the wonderful unicorns that they are different from us and how they bring a lot of joy to our lives. That's how I view them. Uh, Because I don't understand a lot of the things that they do, but I appreciate them. And they do contribute a lot of wonderful things to my life. Um, But secondly, if you were going to be analyzing their behavior towards you, which is how I made the distinction in my question, is you, they're pretty transparent. I mean, when men like you, they like you. <laughs> like they're, or generally, when people like you, they're no, transparent. Here's, here's the problem, though. Like I'm the type of person who, if someone's like, "Oh, you don't seem too dumb," I'd be like, "Oh my god, that's such a nice compliment." So I can't tell if someone's like actually likes me or like likes me, likes me. Like I can't tell normal from. Does that make sense? No, it does. I understand. But you that 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 is more self-work and less analyzing the other sex. That's more like I'm going to work on my self-confidence because Paula, you're awesome. So, and just to clarify, I like you. <laughs> but you like you have to be like a little bit more like team Paula here. I mean, Ben, what do you think? Well, so first of all, I think you're being spooked by uh by the the male mythology so <laughs> men are actually super simple oh okay. it's like like just deal with males as you would deal with a 12 year old boy oh um because they're not actually they may have more facial hair they may have but males are very simple creatures um it's you guys who are complicated. Um, and um, and most um, males are uh, also dumb. Um, which, if you ever watch uh, 
a group of guys talking to each other will will come through very quickly. Um, you you actually just just you know go somewhere and just like find a group of five guys and just listen to them, and you'll realize that that in addition to being both mostly twelve year olds they're also mostly pretty stupid. Now, granted, if you listen to a group of women, they're pretty stupid too. But, um, but the nature of the stupidity is different. Um, so female stu stupidity is all about um, a kind of, like a kind of, you know, um, uh, you know, vacillating between validating each other and uh, and establishing, you know, hierarchy so over true. each I other. Just Whereas That's male so stupidity is really just like a bunch of puppies jumping on each other and like attacking each other and vying for dominance by like trying to bite each other's necks. And um, so the answer is you're overthinking it. It's not very complicated. Just think about dealing with a group of like. 12 year old uh, stupid people who are basically uh, puppies or bear cubs or something. And that's really all you need to know. It's, it's not really that's very it. complicated. Is there a particular individual that you're perplexed by? Or is this, no, and you, you, you have the right man. to refuse. Note, notice the GDF's species. awesome pivot here to try to get more information it's out of like, Paula. It's like, it's like if I could, when I do find that guy who has like, similar values then i have that second problem and if i don't have that second problem then like we don't have to like i only get one or the other Does so i almost sense? always i almost always say this in the other direction but so i often give people uh uh job talks and there are some people in the audience who i've i've had this conversation with that looking for a job is exactly like dating um you know like um, and but this is um, uh, the exact reverse of that. Just think of it as looking for a job. <laughs> I mean, if I told I mean, you, honestly, like, most dating is like a job interview. It's like, so where'd you go to school? What do you do? What's your job the same like? Conversation. How long have you been there? No. I'm I'm trying. It's I think also like it doesn't help that like I don't drink or party like I got invited to he's like do you want to come to this like small Halloween party you were having I'm like no I'm gonna go work out instead like that's that doesn't help my but I actually just dis I disagree so much with that though Paula because you're gonna find the type of person with the shared values when you do the things that you love to do if you go to a party you're gonna find someone who's incompatible and like are you like that's true so what and that's I a waste of your like time Halloween, so yeah. I'd also just like to point out Oblio's statement uh in the chat focus on whether you like them who gives a shit if they like you you should be like vetting them sorry so that, would, that would mean that i would have to face potential rejection oh yeah look if you're not being rejected like five times a day um and this is another thing i always say in the in the in the job context if you're not applying to enough jobs to get a couple rejections a day you're not doing it right for me that's so, my problem because no, no, I rejection thinking, is good rejection see, is i was thinking i should not fail like i need to hit it out of the ballpark 
immediately. And if it's not absolutely perfect. Dating is messy, Paula. (laughs) Daniel, you're out of your native habitat. You're wearing an obviously blue shirt. You're not backlit. Do you have any advice for Paula? Dear God. I would would just say, I think uh, Genevieve is getting spot on advice. So. (laughs) Who's Jim Banks? Um, uh, the congressman that's been, uh, writing, uh, letters <laughs> under false Oh, I haven't followed this. So, so I've been dealing with a different story today. What's been going on? Um, he's pretended he's part of the, uh, uh January 6th committee, uh, has been signing oh, letters he's the suggesting one who was he's removed. Re- yeah, he was never selected for it. And he's been writing letters to try to get information from government agencies posing as the ranking committee member. Excellent. Um, And I'm wondering, I guess my question is mute, but I'm wondering whether there's any potential criminal exposure here. Well, so first of all, the question is, uh, does he have any advice for Paula? That's the first question. Um, (laughs) If not, um, I, I... uh, so, uh, did Daniel just cut out on purpose? No, he's refreshing. Or there's oh, internet. Does, Daniel is unusual among uh, uh, Greek chorus members in that he asks his question and then he vanishes himself. So, um, you know, uh, most people just kind of wait for me to dismiss them. But Daniel, you see, I think he just disappeared himself. Um, so I haven't followed this story because uh, I've been uh, wrapped up with other things today. Um, but as I recall, Jim Banks was one of the people that um, uh, Mr. McCarthy appointed to the committee and Nancy Pelosi vetoed and appointed uh, 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 Ms. Cheney and Mr. Kinzinger instead. And so I think he uh, maybe is taking his uh, original appointment at face value. Um, uh the the answer to the question of whether there is criminal exposure is that I'm going to be disappointing here. Um, uh, I think the answer is uh, very likely not. But if there were, it would be um, uh, it would be extremely fact dependent. So uh, here are some situations that could convey uh, criminal exposure if he were representing himself as the ranking member of the committee and somehow monetizing that, that could be a fraud, right? If he was causing uh, somebody to behave in a fashion um, uh, uh, that they wouldn't otherwise behave because they think they're actually dealing with the committee, um, uh, I think since you're probably dealing with people who are represented by counsel and who are probably, you know, maybe federal agencies or whatever, uh, I think the likelihood um, that you would actually end up in a situation. Um, I see Jacob says he's been asking people to send him the same documents. So if somebody I mean, that's an, actually an interesting question, right? Like, could that be considered as fraud? Um, and I think the much more likely 
uh, basis for action against him would be through the ethics committee, uh, not as a criminal matter. Um, but everything I know about it, um, uh, I have learned in this conversation. So I'm, you know, take it all with, take it all with a grain of salt, uh, the size of, you know, your heads. Can I piggyback Wedge of off of that? Speaking of being held in criminal content, um, what, I mean, maybe I missed it on like a lawfare podcast, so I apologize. But what, what really happens with Steve Bannon? What does that really mean? I mean, does so, it hold any weight? So you did miss it. We had a, a long, detailed conversation on the that. Lawfare podcast <laughs> with the awesome Jonathan David Schaub, who um, uh, is a, um, uh, a former OLC lawyer who works on, on executive privilege matters. Uh, and I would refer you to uh, that Watch conversation, it. which is super detailed and uh, useful on this. Genevieve just shared it. Um, uh, I just want to say Lisa just shared some really great dating advice, which was don't date people like Steve Bannon. That's right. I mean, we try on the French Village podcast to <laughs> include relationship advice in each episode because, you know, like not dating the SS guy is... Uh, is generally good um, dating advice. I mean, a lot of people in the show seem to have trouble with that one. Um, same principle but, applies uh, here. <laughs> yeah, like just literally. Don't date, don't date Steve Bannon um, uh, or Jim Banks. That's right. All right, um, Paula, uh, you're a great American for uh, humoring us with. Thank you uh, for calling me an American. <laughs> <laughs> You're a great Lebanese American, um, uh, even if you did not grow up speaking Arabic at home, except by uh, watching television shows. All right. We have others who uh, want to get in. Um, uh, we have ooh, a bunch of them are seem to be uh, Christopher. We have Dr. Doom. Christopher hey, Argerus, the floor is yours. All right. I, I'm going to combine my two questions um, and and say, of course, as a as a Brit in in um, uh, in I mean, as as an American in the UK, uh, I often encounter and I'm always in, uh, interested in the difference between the two languages um, and Speaking of jobs, uh, uh, I was um, interested in the American interpretation, if you share my disgust at the standard British uh, phrase uh, of email or job, uh, job rejections, where they say, you have not been successful. Um, in, in, I kind of like it. Yeah, and I and I feel like I don't know. Am, am, am I if, if I explain like the difference in like the the way like Americans are handle it? Am I being like too much of a snowflake to say that like that sounds to that that would sound to an American or other people that that it's it, it's making like a judgment beyond your uh, this particular job that you're applying for? And the other thing I want to ask is how did you two meet your your spouses so we can. 
if that's if that's a story you want to share on uh, in lieu of fun. Well, she sent me a letter that said you have not been successful. <laughs> and I sent him Sorry. a letter. You have not been successful. Try again. <laughs> no, uh, Tammy and I met in college. Andrew and I also met in college. Okay. Oh. Boring. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, am, am, am I am I making too much of this, like a, a distinction without a difference or something with, with this? language about you have not been successful. Ben, do you want to go first? So I find a lot of Britishisms peculiar in an off-putting kind of way. And I, (laughs) what's that? Like, like, like the food, like blood pudding and I guess. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, Britishisms in, in a language. Um, Like there's a, there is a, um, and I'm sure there's a million Americanisms that that a reasonable Brit finds uh, off-putting. Um, uh, I don't know, like, I I think it is because they're idioms that are like that we understand syntactically. So unlike Russian idioms, you know, they're pronounced in English, so they don't feel distanced, but they do feel culturally distanced. Like that's something I would never write to somebody. You have not been successful, um, you know, when rejecting them for a job. Um, so I, I, but I actually think it's an example of the greatness of the English language that we have these very subtle regional differences that are um that are like enough to make you like we i I would feel rejected if i got such a letter yeah exactly Um, you're like a life failure for you have not been successful that's right in life yeah i i take such a different perspective i think this is so interesting because like it's for me, I have the opposite because it's so situational. And I I always kind of hate the trust up. We regret to inform you like we've chosen to go with so, like that always seemed somewhat fluffy. So I, I actually don't mind the we re, you have not been successful. Is that is that I, weird? <laughs> no, it's, it's it's just a different reaction. But I'm I'm with Chris. I, I think like. Like it feels like a character judgment. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I try to explain this to my British friends and they're like, oh, you're just being, you know, too sensitive or like get over it, you know. I think it goes back to the way that like you in the UK, much more than the US, you are constantly like um, making fun of your friends like in an aggressive way. And that shows like that you're close to them. Whereas, yeah. like, to an American, it's like, do you hate, do you secretly, like, or not secretly, do you, like, overtly, like, not like me or think I'm, a like, the stupidest person alive? But it's it's just common that you're constantly negging or, you know, just making fun of the other person. 
it is bizarre that that is, is a sign of intimacy. And meanwhile, like the most proper manners are somewhat weaponized. It kind of reminds me of the Southern, oh, bless your heart. And it's like, yes, Ooh. Exactly. <laughs> oh, dear, you said that to me. I'm in trouble. <laughs> Yeah. All right, Christopher, I, I'm I'm with you on this. Thank and you. I promise okay. you the next person who does not get a job at Lawfare will not receive a letter that says <laughs> they have not been successful. <laughs> Good. Okay, my work is done for tonight. Thank you. All right. Uh Doctor Doom, the floor is yours. Uh which question did you did you what? Any and all. You can do what Eric, uh, what, wow. what Christopher did. Sorry, I'm looking at Eric Berg's Many, name right many now. degrees you... of freedom. Thanks. Yeah, uh, you can what, ask what is them a in sequence. One is a pet peeve of mine. All right, um, go for I, it. I, I'm actually, I'm actually uh, very acquainted with evolutionary psychology and some of the implications of, of those ideas. And I don't think your characterization uh, earlier of uh, men... Uh, was uh, altogether off. However, uh, it seems to be okay in the culture right now to make little snarky remarks about men, etc. But if you were, you know, if you were substituting X for that, you'd be canceled. And I wanted well, I, to... I did. I did make comparably snarky remarks about women. No, you did, uh, about, you did how, about women, but let's let's you know one step. That would be the that. analogy here. You, you, one step beyond that, and and you know you're you're you're, you're toast. So um, I'm kind of I, I I keep hearing these things, you know, inserted uh, in, you know, in NPR shows and humor shows every everywhere, and I I actually have to say that I I think there's a certain kind of toxicity. Not, not to this crowd, because this crowd, you know, is perfectly happy in hearing these kinds of things, but to people who are not of this crowd and actually does create a, a level of, of, uh, of, uh, of contempt and humiliation for people that is never forgotten. Well, so I will just say to all men who felt uh, my contempt and felt humiliated, I deeply apologize. I certainly did not mean to. Ben, I, I, I know that you don't mean that. I'm, uh, but I'm, I'm really talking about something more, more general. I'm, I'm not really talking about you. Is your objection that it doesn't leave room for men to have like emotive reactions, or it limits like the scope of which people can take their feelings seriously? Um, no, I'll, I'll, I'll pull it back a little bit. Since the late 1970s. Uh, Hollywood started to beam basically uh, a bunch of shows uh, like All in the Family and other things that were filled with a certain level of disparagement of another part of the, you know, of people in another part of the country. And I'm not saying that the, the criticisms that were embedded in those, those shows were altogether uh, unjustified, but people remember uh, and people feel very deeply the way the, those kinds of things are expressed, especially in terms of uh, mocking humor. And you know, there there are all kinds of there are all kinds of uh, of uh, variations of that. You have a, a you know somebody like Trump who's humiliated at a at a uh, at that at that dinner, and I, I have to believe that that was a very, very powerful motivator for him. 
You have Hillary Clinton, who made probably the worst political guffaw, uh, you know, faux pas that I've ever heard, which was the comment about sifting people into baskets. People are not objects that are sifted into baskets. The criticism may be valid about the attitudes, but nobody wants to be reduced to a to an object that you float. You, so I, I'm this kind of casual, casual uh, quality that I that I've seen among people that I know, probably myself at times. I, I I'm just curious about your opinions about this. Oh, do you have thoughts, GDF? Um, I'm still forming my thoughts into a cogent sentence. <laughs> so I am largely sympathetic to this complaint. Um, that is that we, uh, we can be as a society hypersensitive to slights against, uh, uh, um, you know, traditionally uh, disadvantaged groups and gleeful about um, about uh, disparaging majority culture, whether it's uh, uh, white people, Christianity, in this case, men, um, uh, and that there is a dissonance between uh, between our attitudes toward that in in popular culture, in media, um, uh, and I'm largely sympathetic to Dr. Doom's point. Uh, that said, um, I also think that there is to some degree a bit of inevitability about that, that if you think about where a, a huge amount of comedy comes from the outsider poking fun at the mainstream, and you know that's Lenny Bruce or Richard Pryor or or like you know uh, why are so many great com comedians Canadian, right? Um, uh, these are uh, 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 these are uh, cultures with that are very proximately close to mainstream American culture that are just different enough to have a unique insight into it in a uh and we traditionally accept that as a form of uh a critique that is not offensive but that the and that the majority culture is big enough and dominant enough to just kind of accept and and uh uh internalize whereas there's a a real sense if you you know reverse uh that of punching down um which is less true if americans joke about canadians but um uh it i i think it's a so i i i share your i share your sense that our our tolerance for uh, for certain aspects of it is a little bit out of whack right now. I, I also think that it is a idea with a long pedigree and that 
I and that I wouldn't throw the whole thing out and say we expect you, you know we, we expect people to uh, uh, to talk about different groups in necessarily exactly the same way. Well, I I I I, I don't, and I'm, I'm. But this is a, just an observation in in terms of how I see people reacting, especially when there's loss of status. So you you've talked about you've talked about the majority culture, but actually they're different majority cultures until probably you know, probably 67, I'm not sure that I would have been characterized as uh, white, actually. Uh, I, 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 I think the uh, Six Day War probably had a, uh, a big effect on the, on the perception of, of who American Jews were. Um, but we, we have a, a, a large group of people who feel justified or not uh, a status panic and other things and the the characterization of you know the characterization of when you really do feel you're truly dominant and you're you're the king of the hill okay the, these jokes wash over you but when you're beginning to feel maybe i'm not the king of the hill they become less funny hmm i don't know i i agree with that i think that you know, the societal response to Richard Pryor and Lenny Bruce was different. I think today, MAGA culture would regard them as highly offensive. Whereas I don't think, I don't think like Nixon, uh, Nixon Republicans thought of, I don't think they thought about them at all. Um, you know, and so I, I agree with you that there's a sensitivity in uh, aspects of the majority culture. And I also think it's um, uh, worth a certain sensitivity to that, um, just because being sensitive to people's concerns and, and sensibilities is a nice thing to do. Uh, that said, um, you know, when, when, somebody shows up on the show and says, I'm having boy troubles, I'm not going to resist the, hey, men suck and they're simple beasts uh, uh, joke. I, I, you know, that's just asking it's, it's, a lot it, of it, it is hard. It's, it is a wind up, you know, softball pitch. I mean, I it's mean, like a freaking we, grapefruit we, we, sized we hanging curveball. And, you know, you bring her on knowing that she's throwing you that curveball, and you want me to pass that shit up? I, I yeah, can't. Yeah, I, 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 I empathize with your point of view. We're, we're, we're pretty, we're pretty tough here in Latveria too. So you know. Uh, <laughs> all right, man. Good all right. talking with you. All right. Eric Berg, who is not in Latveria, uh, uh, who is in Idaho. This is true. Is yours. Uh, I was going to see what is some of your guys' favorite, I'm saying this because it's raining outside and anything I want to do outside today has been taken off to do other things. So what's your favorite like books, media, musicals, movies, shows that you like in the fall season? Ooh. GDF? Fall culture? 
Um, well, I've been watching a lot of the Great British Baking Show um, because I find it to be especially joyful. And they are, it, when you think of competition shows, that so often it's negative and it's just such a lovely community that it makes me feel really optimistic about everything in humanity. And so, especially as we lead into some elections, I find that I like to focus on media that's slightly more optimistic. And then I've been listening to a lot of audiobooks because my hands are a little occupied most of the time. And I'm currently um, listening to, Scott had recommended this, The Cheese and the Worms. So. What's that? I just started it, but it's a book by, hold on, I'll tell you. Um, it's by Carlo Ginsberg, and it is, oops, oh, I don't want to play it. Um, the Cosmos of a 16th Century Miller. And hmm. it had gotten brought up on a previous show, and it was on my list of things to read. So that's what I'm currently doing. Ben? Interesting. What is your uh, favorite fall cultural items, Mr. Berg? Um, so I was thinking about this. Uh, one is about this time of year, uh, Alan Parsons projects, uh, Tales of Mystery and Intrigue, the album he did about where all the songs are based on Edgar Allan Poe is like constantly on. Um, and then I ran into a couple shows. There's one called Owl House, which is fun. It's, it's a animated show, but it's got a lot of kind of Halloween fall nature. And then if you're just in like a complete and utter, like the creep and decay of fall, uh, Invader Zim is always a good decision. Um, and the Halloween episode of that is one of my favorites. Um, it has a priceless line of one of the kids going to his teacher saying the horrible, horrible visions. And she just says, it's called life did. And it's just, it's perfect. Well, I am having trouble thinking of explicitly fall culture uh, right now. But I will say that I'm watching a show on Netflix that is uh, bizarre and peculiar. Um, it is a German television show called Dark. Have, has anybody seen this? I saw it on the, uh, it was recommended to me, but I haven't seen What you? Oh. I haven't seen it yet. We have, uh, we, we, we have uh, background noise. Yes, um, he's getting changed. <laughs> gotcha. So um, dark is, I don't I don't think it's fall culture, really, exactly. It's, um, it's fascinating um, in a really unpleasant kind of way. Um, uh, and it is about the disappearance of children in a uh, wooded German town. Um, and, um, uh, and I haven't quite figured out what it's really about. Yes, it's, it's, it is also, Dave, about a time-traveling cave, which is uh, involved in the disappearance of the children. Um, and, um, and it's about growing up with people who you don't know are your parents because they were kidnapped as small children and moved back in time and um, turned out to be your parents. Um, it's uh, really odd um, and quite well done. And um, 
uh, I don't think it has anything particularly to do with the fall, but it's what I'm thinking about right now because I've been watching it. I, I have that same thing with the Count of Monte Cristo. Like, for some reason, it has no connection to fall whatsoever, but, like, the musical soundtrack goes on. The There's a show, which is an animated version of it called Gengitsuo that's excellent. Um, I don't know why. It's just fall to me and revenge. All right. <laughs> well, excellent. Richard Wattenbarger. I've talked to you a fair bit today on, just, uh, on, on, on this particular medium, and uh, this is now the third or fourth time. Yeah, you can't shake me, can you? Can't um, get rid of you. And he never would want to. So, it, you know, people will notice the, the fan is not spinning. It's true. Is, uh, what do you think of making fun of men? Oh, well, you know, we had it coming for a couple of million years. <laughs> So, Particularly um, Bruckner. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, you know, I'm not that sensitive about Bruckner. Hey, I was just curious, uh, since since you both have uh, um, a past playing instruments, if you had any, um, and you were pretty serious about it, if you have any particular memory particularly memorable moments that you, you know, that stick with you. It's like, that was really fun. Um, that was so great. I wish I could do that more or something like that. That's an interesting question. Do you have any, any particularly memorable uh, uh, playing moments, GDF? I, I do. Um, I had worked on a piece, I can't remember what it was, but I was so proud to play it for my grandfather. And he cried when I played it. And so that was mm. the moment that has stuck out to me the most. So the, 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 I'd have to think about this for, uh, to, um, but the moment that I'm thinking of, um, took place at a, uh, at a youth orchestra, probably when I was 16 or 17. And I had, uh, I'd had an injury that eventually stopped me from playing altogether, but I hadn't played in quite a while. And when I showed up to this orchestra, um, people who could actually play the French horn were in quite high demand. And so I used to, you know, at that time would just like people would call me and say, hey, can you come play with X and such? And I would, you know, sort of show up. And this group was playing... Um, Beethoven's eighth, which has an amazing horn part in the third movement. And um, I showed up and I was the only horn. And the trouble is that the two, uh, the, the, it's actually a horn duet uh, for the for first and second horn. Um, and when I walked in, the, um, the conductor, who was this Russian guy, um, uh, and um, improbably named Slava, which uh, is, is also also the nickname of, of, of Rostropovich, uh, who was then the conductor of the National Symphony. And this was not Rostropovich, but he was nicknamed Slava. Um, and he um, asked me to play something for him so he could just tell if I should be part of this group or not. 
And I explained to him that I had had an injury and I needed to warm up and I was like, really had not played in a few weeks. And he insisted. And so I played something and I was, it was just awful. And he was quite disgusted with me and um, sort of allowed me to stay for the rehearsal. And so we come upon this, uh, uh, you know, third movement where um, there is no second horn and I have just humiliated myself in front of the compo uh, conductor. Uh, and so I just figured, you know, leave it all on the table. So I grabbed both horn parts and I played both, which you, there, there are parts that there are duets, but there are parts that they're trading the melody. Um, and um, and uh, I have never had a moment where I changed somebody's opinion of me more completely, more quickly than, uh, than that. And I still remember at the end of the third movement, he just looked over at me and said in a thick Russian accent, bravo horn, very difficult part. <laughs> And then, um, so that was my uh, 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 impressing Slava in Washington, who was not Rostropovich. Um, I just have visions of this being the horn version of someone trying to sing both parts to Baby It's Cold Outside. <laughs> well, it's, you know, so the horns uh, in, in Beethoven's Eighth are, um, are, it makes no sense to play only one of them but it makes even less sense to play the first horn part and then leave the second horn part blank because <laughs> um, it actually doesn't work. Uh, there's like, the, they're trading the melody back and forth. So um, uh, that's the best I can do on, on really short notice. Hey, when you were injured, did you, um, was it painful to play or you just lost some muscle control or what? Um... Um, well, so I had a bad uh, TMG in, a TMJ injury that was eventually fixed surgically, and um, and I actually couldn't open my mouth much beyond this, um, and so it really wrecked my embouchure, and I eventually uh, went to college and just kind of never played again. Um, so I went to I went to Oberlin because there was a conservatory, and I uh, never had any um, engagement with it. Yes, Eric, it was a HIPAA violation to describe that. All right, uh, the Reverend Dr. Hillary Livingston, I have been trying to bring you and Tony Kava on. Uh, it has been, I've failed utterly with Tony and I have failed with you up until now, but here you are. Okay, I'm glad it worked out. Um, I'm on my iPad, which is a little glitchy, um, but I'm glad I made it. Um, here you are. Here I am. Um, so good to see everybody. Happy Friday, happy cheese night. Um, so Ben, I think normally when I see you on the show, you're in a dog shirt and tonight you're in like a, a button down dress shirt and it looks like it's like very cozy and maybe has like a texture to it. And I almost want to like reach through the screen and touch the sleeve of it to see what it, what it feels like. And, um, um, so you, want, like linen. you want the shirt's backstory? Yeah. The, uh... Hmm. Why not? I'm just, I'm well, always interested in. So is the question, things. what's the history of the shirt? Or is the question, why are you wearing a button down shirt instead of a dog shirt? All, all of the above, whatever, whatever you choose to, to share. I just, I just find, I always think when people are wearing, it looks like it's very comfortable and I like the color of it. And I, I just, I like. And you've been gracious enough to not mention that it's not ironed and that it's kind of 
you know, looks like it just came out of the dryer. Um, well, I didn't know if it was like a, te- like, cause some shirts naturally kind of have that. That's what I mean. It kind of looked like it had a cool texture to it. So mm. I'm just interested in people's, when people wear interesting clothing, I just, I just think it's interesting. So, well, let me tell you the full story of the shirt. First okay. of all, it was inappropriate to wear a dog shirt today because I was doing my first interview, uh, of a book project with a um, member of the Carter administration. Um, And and it just seemed like the wrong thing to do with a distinguished gentleman of a certain generation to show up in a dog shirt. Um, And so I actually put on an appropriate shirt um, uh, uh, to avoid needless offense. as to the particular shirt, it is cotton, not linen. Uh, mm. To uh, to those who are debating it, in in it is in fact a sort of straight out of the dryer kind of situation, um, and I'm glad it fooled some of you. Um, I um, uh, it's just your garden variety uh, uh, blue shirt. I think it's benefiting a fair bit from the ring light and the and the fading light of the Washington uh, uh, mm-hmm. evening. Um, it looks I, I great it, at twilight. Well, thank you. I think it's uh, probably this is the most discussion uh, uh, this shirt will ever get. Okay. Um, and yeah, for uh, those who are making Nietzsche references, this is the twilight of the dog shirt. Um, GDF, should we, uh, should we bring on one more, give Tony Kava one more question? Uh, uh, oh, we should just, um, he says, I want to date Steve Miller. Any advice? Do you have any advice for, are you on speaking terms? (laughs) Um, I think it was a reference to the, uh, don't date, uh, the SS guys. I do too. Um, Yeah. I don't know. Isn't there a musician who's Steve Miller? Yeah, but I, I I think Paula's idea that he should date Tim Miller instead is is uh, 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 a good one. Except that yes. Tim is married. Yes. <laughs> we are going to leave it there. Um, it is. Uh, Ooh, we're two minutes early. We are. We had, we started on so we had to drag it out for two minutes. Can you can you give a two minute soliloquy? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will do as I do with my child. I will narrate as I continue to think I'm going to pick up my phone now and smile. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually been something that I think is really bizarre because I don't know whether or not there's any. um, And maybe as he gets older, it'll make more sense. But I. I do a lot of procedural descriptions too. Like when you're doing certain things like, okay, well now we're going to put you down and like a lot of, and it's, I know he doesn't understand any of it. And we, we were talking about this before the show, but it, I mean, I, it just makes me feel better. <laughs> well, I believe in talking constantly to babies, even if you have absolutely nothing to say. Um, <laughs> He disagrees, though. It's really funny because sometimes he'll cry until I stop talking and then he's quiet. Really? So that I'm like, oh, so this is your opinion, huh? You're tired of mommy talking. And then Andrew starts talking and he's just like, 
he loves the sound of Andrew's voice. It's really funny. You know, <laughs> this is how parental rivalries over children's affection start. Oh, no. I'm happy. if, Like, please, <laughs> if the baby wants to hear you talk, here you go, Dada. <laughs> we will be back Monday. We have some cool guests next week. Um, I think Tim Miller is joining us from Monday, on Monday. And... I think he's going to be in Washington, so we may do it somewhere uh, in public where people can join us. Well, that would be cool. Um, and you should all, you know, show up if you're in the Washington area. Until then, GDF. We don't have fun anymore, but we do have dating advice and the best advice we can give you. And we're going back to Paula for this. Be Paula's best fan and biggest advocate yeah I, th I think we actually need a sign off from paula today i think so so come paula, back paula yeah we don't uh until monday paula oh was i supposed to say something? yeah now this is the part where you yeah. say we don't have fun anymore we don't but have we do fun have... anymore but in 70 hours and 59 minutes, we will have Mr. Tim Miller. There we go.